Welcome to another Alive at Springwood podcast, brought to you by Springwood Presbyterian Churches, where we don't believe churches are buildings. Churches are people. Disciples of Jesus bound together in diversity by God's love, while pursuing faithfulness and vulnerability, celebration and lament, reading the Bible and prayer. May you be encouraged and God glorified by this edition. To begin with, a few really introductory comments about, um, about parables in general. Jesus used them a lot. Uh, obviously recognise that they're really valuable teaching tools. People listen, people take notice to, uh, of stories, don't they? Uh, the concepts, the messages tend to stick um, rather than just being told, do this, do that, that's okay, that's not. And we, we assume that not every uh, parable that Jesus ever uttered we have access to, probably not every one has been recorded by the, uh, the writers of the Gospels, but they do feature in all four of the Gospels. Some parables just in one, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke or John, and some across maybe two or three. And I find it, uh, find it pretty remarkable reading the parables now, these things that Jesus said, these teaching tools that Jesus used that were recorded 2,000 years ago, that they still seem to resonate now. They're still relatable to now. So Jesus picked the stuff of everyday life back then, stuff that was in and around Israel in AD 30-odd, and pretty much every parable we read, we still, we can get it. We can get the gist of it. We can get the meaning they communicate succinctly. And uh, who knows if Jesus was here, now, trying to convey the same message, what parables he would, he would pick, whether all the, uh, all the elements of the parables would be the same, presumably not quite, because um, it was a fairly agricultural, rural, smaller town sort of world. But that's what we've got. Um, the term parable itself, the word parable in the Gospels, the meaning is something like uh, to put alongside something else. So it's a comparison or an analogy of some description. And in Hebrew, if you take Hebrew, the word parable, the loose translation for it is to stimulate thought. So to put alongside something or to stimulate thought. Jesus wasn't the first to use them. Um, apparently, plenty of precedents in the Jewish and the wider world of the time for people using, uh, using parables. And even in the Old Testament, there's, there's plenty of stories that fit within the to stimulate thought category. Maybe not strictly parables, but plenty in the this is to stimulate thought. don't know if you can think of any. One example that came to mind for me is uh, in 2 Samuel chapter 12. Anybody think what's there? It's the, it's the part of the Bible where, which records God using Nathan to rebuke David with a story concerning a rich guy and a poor guy. The poor guy had the one precious sheep or the one lamb which was really instrumental in sustaining his family. Alas, 
the guy that had probably paddocks full of sheep chose which which animal to kill the one belonging to the uh the poor guy um and then david realized that he was the subject of that parable and the message hit home i don't know any other old testament stories come to mind where god has used stories to drive home a point anyway yeah thanks pauline anyway when we're looking at parables the accepted wisdom seems to be that there's about three or four questions that are useful to ask ourselves in order to draw out the meaning they're pretty pretty basic what's the setting or what's the context um who do the characters if anything or the bits of it represent what or who is represented and maybe the most important thing is what's jesus intention what's the the big idea in telling the parable and maybe another thing worth asking is um does it reflect any other aspects of his teaching jesus teaching or is there like an, an assumed theology that comes through in other parts of scripture so does it fit or back up uh, other parts of scripture that we might be expected to know and i before we actually have a, a look at this specific parable i'd like just to sound what i reckon is worth keeping in mind and that's a, a note of warning because i think there's some danger for us uh, this week and in the coming weeks when we look at the parables and the danger is familiarity for many of us we've got a pretty decent level of bible literacy and for many of us we're not hearing these parables for the first time and i think for me anyway don't know if anybody else feels like this that there's a tendency to skim them thinking yep i've heard that yep i've got the gist of it yeah i think i know the meaning there and maybe they're just a little too familiar and i need to step back and allow them to be heard afresh and to examine me and my heart a bit more so if we're committed to taking jesus words seriously maybe um, we can take that on board and i think it's worth noting that obviously we've mentioned parables catch people's attention which isn't a surprise is it because jesus has had and has probing radical really difficult challenging things to say and for us to hear and this parable is no exception and maybe that shouldn't be a surprise this is jesus he's lord he's king of his upside down his counterintuitive kingdom and i think if we care to allow ourselves to really listen we need to be prepared to be really challenged um, by parables anyway let's get into this particular one which is about forgiveness and i think happily it's not really hard to grasp some parables are fairly opaque some need and have explanations recorded in the uh you know jesus went on to explain to disciples or whoever afterwards what it all means but this one doesn't need much explanation don't think it's particularly uh particularly convoluted or complicated so let's just make sure we've got our heads around around what it's all about 
So to answer those, those uh, general questions that I mentioned a moment ago, the setting and the context, well, Jesus is responding to uh, a very specific question from, from Peter. You probably remember it's recorded in the, um, in the passage that, uh, that Grant read. So the parable is most likely directed at Peter. And there was probably a bunch of the other disciples there as well, but we don't know for sure. And it seems like, unlike many of the other parables, Jesus wasn't addressing a really large crowd of, of people. And it's worth noting, I think, that the parable, it's not the initial part of Jesus' answer. And note that he begins his response to Peter with just a really direct answer to Peter's question. And then he sort of drives the point home with the parable. And I presume that Peter, he asked his question. You remember what he asked? How many times have I got to forgive? How many times? And, I, and then Peter provides his own answer. You know, oh, how many does he suggest would be... Uh, would be sufficient or would be yeah, up to seven times up to seven times jesus um look i read that as presumably peter well not presumably maybe peter wanting to impress jesus maybe wanting to impress others wanting to show his spiritual maturity or his godliness you know up to seven times because apparently for the rabbis at the time to forgive somebody, and this was teaching, to forgive somebody two or three times was what was taught. That's how you please God. More than once, forgive somebody two or three times. So Peter thinks, well, I'm really going above and beyond by suggesting I could forgive somebody seven times. And then, well, Jesus just blows Peter's notion of being forgiving out of the water. Seventy-seven. Ooh, that must have taken a bit to get your head around. And I think it's worth noting that the, the nature of Jesus' answer with an exponential increase in the, if you like, the so to speak moral bar, if you can get around the moral bar that God sets or that Jesus sets compared to what we might have considered to be, where's the moral bar? Peter was raising it and raising it and raising it and Jesus says, nowhere near, mate. Um, and I believe that Jesus' answer there, well, that serves a couple of functions. And one is it just drastically, dramatically raises our understanding of what living in a manner to please God might, uh, might entail. Oh, here's Peter saying, I think I can forgive somebody heaps more times than the rabbis. And Jesus saying, nowhere near enough, mate. In other words, it's almost indefinite. And secondly, I think if we're honest, it helps us realise that um, as a human being, under our own steam, we'll never get there. Even if we've uh, got the spirit working in us, we're directed by God, we're doing our best, we're going to come up short, consistently, regularly, come up short. And I think Jesus' answer helps us to realise that we need God's forgiveness and we need God's renewal and maybe crucially it helps us begin to grasp just how magnificent it is to be the recipients of his grace Jesus what was the words of the song Jesus paid it all there's grace 
how magnificent it is to be the recipients of grace and then to, so to speak, be able to relax into that life-giving, that life-affirming realisation that we are the recipients of grace, that Jesus has paid it all. Anyway, back to the parable. Um, we got up, up to that, that second question, who's represented? Well, I think it's pretty clear that uh, the king's God and the servant, that's us. That's you, that's me, that's us. Uh, Jesus' intention, we've sort of touched on that, I think, but basically twofold, to show the extent of God's forgiveness, uh, but also, and this is probably the hard stuff, the expectation, his expectation, that we are people that offer forgiveness towards others. Verse 24. The bloke owed the king 10,000 bags of gold. I don't know if that sort of jarred you when, uh, when Grant read it. 10,000, that's just ridiculous. Like how, how do you run up a debt that... Uh, equates to 10,000 bags of gold. It's just ridiculous. Uh, it's an impossible to repay debt. You know, everything had to be sold, family everything, and it doesn't even come close to repaying it. This guy could live hundreds of times over and he wouldn't even scratch the surface of being able to repay his debt. So a totally unpayable debt. But that's us. We're the man. We're that guy with a totally unfathomable, totally impossible debt that we owe God. And I wonder, do we feel like that? Do we feel like that about our situation? Do we recognise our need for God's forgiveness is, is dire? Um, as I mentioned, everything in the parable is slated to be sold. And it still wouldn't even go close, but that's the point. The guy owes everything to the king. Well, if we can't go close to repaying what we owe God, what do we actually deserve? Anybody, uh, anybody put Romans 6.23 to mind? Paul wrote, yeah, it's death. What? What? do we deserve well in a word death that's pretty blunt isn't it can we do anything to change it can we do anything to minimize it nope nothing however because of his great love for us god who is rich in mercy made us alive with christ even when we were dead in transgressions it is by grace you have been saved. That's directly from Ephesians chapter 2. It is because of his great love for us. God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you've been saved. That's exceedingly good news. So Paul paints this picture of something that should just render us speechless, I reckon, with gratitude. We are set free. We are forgiven. So let's be grateful for that grace, that amazing grace. But I also imagine that 
if we're a reasonably representative lot of uh, of Christians, nothing to suggest we're not, except we're more creative and we enjoy community more and we're, you know, um, live love conversation um, and Christ. But if we're fairly representative of, of Christians, there's some here the Savo that probably that would be a sticking point in coming to faith. I know it's not uncommon for the realisation that there's nothing I can do to contribute to my salvation. There's nothing I can do to repay God. There's nothing I can do. That sticks a bit for some people in coming to faith and to grasp the magnitude of how much is owed to God and how much you've been forgiven and then to reconcile that with the fact that, hey, I can't do anything to repay it. Well, especially for us and in our culture tends to be, oh, look, we want to pay our way, we want to contribute, but we can't. So I don't know if there's anybody where that's a thing for them, if you want to fess up and wave your hand and tell us how you came to reconcile that or whether you're still working on it, feel free. You can give me a breather for 30 seconds while you share your story, but I'll continue. <laughs> um, and I want to now turn to the, uh, to the second application of the parable that we are to be people to forgive, to forgive others. Um, in teaching his disciples to pray, Jesus gave us the forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. How many times? How many times to forgive the one who may be a repeat offender or how many times to forgive a host of different people? Well, 77, but I don't think Jesus intended us to count them and then stop before 78. I think he's, in, he's effectively saying do it an unlimited number of times. Keep going. Keep going. Um, Paul, in his really lovely reflection on love that you, we can find in 1 Corinthians 13, he reinforces the fact that forgiveness is a, a loving act. And he writes, love keeps no record of wrong. Um, and so perhaps someone with God at work in them doesn't even need to tally up whether they're getting close to that 77. They're keeping no record of the forgiveness that they offer others. And I think, back to the parable, it's really, it's, it's noticeable how jarring it is to the fellow servants, isn't it, that this guy won't forgive. They're, they're offended, they're outraged. This guy won't forgive and that's really jarring to them. And I think it offends us, it offends our, our sense of a, a fair go. I mean, this guy got an exceedingly good deal, we get that. And I wonder if we extrapolate that to us, that we have got an exceedingly good deal. Um, I don't know if this is really related, but I've heard heaps of times somebody describing a, be a behaviour, oh, that's fairly unchristian, or he, she seemed to act in an unchristian way. I wouldn't have expected that. <coughs> and I, I suspect one of the more common reasons behind a comment like that is a lack of forgiveness or a hardness or a, or a desire to, to seek retribution rather than to extend forgiveness. But I want to say I think it's 
probably easy for somebody like me or one of us just to stand here and to and to talk about this parable and say look the bible makes it clear that in response to the lavish forgiveness offered to us that we've got to forgive other people yes that's true uh, but uh, let's try and not minimize how hard that is how hard it is for some in in many situations and let's recognize that life isn't straightforward there are rarely situations that are just easily and neatly sort of resolvable oh look if we're talking about you keep leaving the toilet seat up or you chuck the towels in with your nice t-shirts or something like that yes annoying and maybe on my better days i can forgive that stuff again and again and again not that i have to i'm probably the one that needs forgiveness um but i think we know and maybe it's un unfortunate in some ways but i think we know that there's no hierarchy of acts that the bible records that we can you know tailor how much forgiveness we offer for there's there's no record um because i assume it didn't happen no record of jesus saying that different types of offenses require any sort of conditional forgiveness there's no hierarchy of stuff to forgive and it's hard uh, a week and a bit ago Anne saw Anne and i saw the movie one life anybody seen it yeah, a few people um for those that haven't it's an account of nicholas winton uh, he's a british guy who organized the so-called kinder transport trains that evacuated jewish kids out of prague in 1938. um he and a couple of others were directly responsible for saving over 600 lives 600 kids lives there was another train booked with a couple of hundred kids on that train the borders shut three of those kids survived the war anyway my father and auntie were two of those kids on the last of these trains to leave for the uk uh, they never saw their father again he lost his life in a concentration camp um so is forgiveness required here you know the holocaust claimed around six million lives but who to specifically forgive yeah and what if you're not the person that's directly wronged uh, just on that topic of getting caught up in the nazis uh, with the nazis if you want to read uh, another perspective you might have heard of cassie diossi she's a, a jewish kid from budapest she ended up living in sydney she co-wrote a book with the um, jarring title forgiving hitler and she seeks how god worked in her to change her from desiring retribution to offering forgiveness anyway that's freely available that book well here's another a public case of forgiveness offered by somebody deeply wronged also from the war um, you may have seen the movie or read the book the railway man familiar to some yep details the story of an english guy uh, eric lomax he just suffered terribly at the hands of the japanese after being captured in singapore 
uh, and then the details, sorry, details his, well, it's a true story, of the impact of that treatment on his relationships and particularly his marriage. But then also ultimately his, his, his friendship and forgiveness and friendship with his Japanese interrogator and his torturer, Nagosi, a guy called Nagosi, who spent many years working for peace. Um, so let's, let's be honest and let's be real and acknowledge what's true. To say forgiveness is easy it's, is completely wrong. It's an understatement to say forgiveness in many cases is hard. It's counterintuitive, uh, almost without doubt. Almost without doubt, amongst us tonight, there's people that have or are um, grappling with the really, really, Im the really, really devastating impacts of abuse, uh, be it sexual or emotional or combination or whatever form of abuse. And it's not natural, is it? It's not natural to offer forgiveness to somebody whether it's an individual or an institution that has caused just massive suffering and trauma, who has abused trust, it's not natural. And particularly if that has been done in a calculated manner, particularly over an extended period of time, it's evil. And then you've got another layer of difficulty if the perpetrator is unrepentant, what do you do with that? And Bob really helpfully mentioned when he prayed about collective sort of communal unease, I guess, or the need for forgiveness over different things that we, different ways that we live, maybe even unintentionally. So what do we do with the hurt or disillusionment we might feel towards others that uh, make decisions that affect our environment, the fabric of our society negatively, our security, etc. What do we do? I don't know. I'm not even going to go there with that tonight. But I want to share a quote by Miroslav Volf. He's a Croatian theologian. I don't know if that name is familiar to anybody. And I've been tossing it around in my head for a while. It's very short, but I think it's worth contemplating. And in regard to forgiveness, he just suggests that people, quote, live into it. Live into it. And I think what he means is forgiveness is worth pursuing. Live into it. Bit by bit, with God's spirit working in us, at a pace that God knows we can handle, even if it feels hard, maybe we can live into being people that can be forgiving. Um, maybe, maybe he means that we can make forgiveness a part of who we are, a part of how we live, how we think, how we feel. And maybe he recognises that the reality is often that in order to forgive, it takes a lot of time and a lot of work and going to some very dark places in the process. But maybe that's what he means. Step by step, 
with God helping us live into it. But also, let me suggest that if we're going to accept the love and the mercy and the grace, the forgiveness, the acceptance from Jesus, then we've got to be prepared to hear the hard things that he says to us. And we've touched on some of those tonight. The parable certainly has hard things to hear, doesn't it? And put it simply, we are expected to be people that offer forgiveness. And a hard thing to hear is, they don't count on being a recipient of God's mercy and patience and forgiveness if we're hard-hearted and unforgiving to others. Maybe even those who grievously do wrong. It's hard. But that fits with the rest of Scripture. There's other hard things to hear in Scripture. Matthew 6.14 and 15. There's not much room for ambiguity. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Not sure which bit of that is ambiguous don't think so or luke 17 jesus is talking to his disciples and he said guys even if they sin against you seven times a day and seven times come back to you saying i repent you've got to forgive them and then when he's speaking about prayer it's recorded in mark 11 and when you stand praying if you hold anything against anyone forgive them so that your father in heaven may forgive you your sins or to Paul, Colossians 2, bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against anyone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. So maybe in summary, let's try and uh, grasp the reality. We're desperately in need of forgiveness, but God has offered just that. And he's offered enough to cover our mind-bogglingly enormous debt to him. However, in turn, the expectation from God is we will do likewise to others. Yes, easier said than done. But we've got a God who knows our hearts, who knows our pain, who knows our thresholds, who knows our desires, and we can come to him. Honestly, prayerfully, we can allow him to work in us. We can allow others, as directed by God, to help us on the journey. And we can ultimately enjoy the freedom that extending forgiveness does bring. Well, I don't know if this is an encouragement, but here's two very brief examples of people that um, relatively recently have taken Jesus' hard words to heart. One of them is fairly well known, the other maybe not so. Um, we chose forgiveness and love over hatred. So said Leela Abdallah, you may recognise that name, on behalf of her husband and herself after three of their kids and their niece were killed by a driver riding, driving off the road in 2020. They are on their way to buy an ice cream from the shop Four kids moaned down. That was her response. 
We chose forgiveness and love over hatred. Another example, a uh, Korean guy, a name called a pastor, Pastor Sun. He was a chaplain in Korea during World War II. His son, two sons, worked alongside him. Um, so I have the war and offered great encouragement to others during the war. Started some great work with his two sons after the war. Three years after that, the two sons were murdered. Uh, short story is, he sought out the killer. He offered forgiveness and adopted him as his son. And the guy he adopted, who murdered his two sons, is quoted as saying, because of your love, I have come to believe in Christ and will do everything I can to follow after my two brothers. It's, yeah. Um, I just want to note as we, as we wrap up that naturally this, this topic is, is raw. It's difficult for some people. And can I encourage us, myself, as well as everybody here, don't do the hard stuff of life alone. There's people here. There's trustworthy people here, caring people who are happy to be alongside us. Seek them out. Don't do the hard stuff of life all alone. And I just want to say that I very briefly touched on um, domestic violence or domestic and family violence. Here at, at Alive at Five, we've got designated contact people. Their names are on the poster on the wall. Check it out. So if that is an issue of concern to you, well, there is an invitation to um, approach one of the people, one of the contact people on the poster. Uh, can I pray with this, please? And then mentioned, um, if anybody would like to share, we've got time. Have we, Bob? A few minutes. We've got time. A few minutes. Let's pray. Dear Lord, as a... As individuals and other people here, we owe you a great debt. But Lord, you have freely provided forgiveness, undeserved, but you've extended that to us. And we can live without the burden of guilt. So thank you. Seems insufficient, but thank you. And Lord, we want to invite you to meet us where we're at. Gently lead us and turn us into people who increasingly will be able to do what you ask us to do, to offer, to extend forgiveness to others. And Father, we pray that you will be glorified in that process. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.